Walking distance is supported by Gossamer Gear. So there I was at Kit Lake on Avalanche Divide in the Grand Tetons. The wind was up and my Gossamer Gear trekking pole tent, The One, barely moved. At only 17 ounces, The One is bomb-proof with loads of room inside to sit up, store your gear, and stay dry and safe from the bugs. And Gossamer Gear Gorilla 50-liter ultralight backpack is roomy and organized enough for all I need, plus a week's worth of food. From trekking poles to hiking umbrellas, tents and backpacks, Gossamer Gear is some of the highest quality lightweight gear out there. And as a listener of Walking Distance, you can score 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE. Gossamer Gear. Take less. Do more. It's basically irresponsible to go into bear country without a bear deterrent. And why that is, is because you're attracting these animals in their own home. And if you get involved in an incident, it's always bad for bears. It's often bad for people too, but let's not set them up to fail. With a deterrent, now you've got at least a little calmness and peace of mind to deal intelligently with this animal rather than last ditch crazy things, climb trees, run, play dead. I mean, these that's what's going on when you see people doing this. It's because they, they have no other play. This is Walking Distance, a show for hikers, trekkers, trampers, wanderers, and bog trotters that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there. And it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack. I'm Allison Young, better known as Blissful Hiker. Have you hiked in bear country? Maybe that's a silly question, because pretty much every undisturbed forest in the U.S. and Canada are host to black bear. And you'll likely come across brown bears, which include grizzly, if you're walking in the northern Rockies and Alaska. They're magnificent animals, beautiful, but can be dangerous. So we need to take special care when traveling through and camping in their habitat. Tom Smith is a professor of wildlife sciences at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, and his research topics center on human-wildlife conflict. Initially, his specialty included bighorn sheep and caribou, but when he was hired to work at Katmai National Park in southwest Alaska, he found the most common animal there was bear, and his work took a radical shift. Over the last two decades, he's conducted research in Alaska, India, and in bear country throughout the lower 48 states, promoting bear safety and conservation. Your ears might have pricked up when I mentioned his work at Katmai National Park. That's the same park where American bear environmentalist and documentary filmmaker Timothy Treadwell died after being mauled by a grizzly bear. If you saw Werner Herzog's film about Treadwell, you might remember the scene where Treadwell reads a letter that he's written to the National Park biologists, with one expletive after another. Herzog chose to talk over their names as Treadwell reads them to protect their privacy. But yes, one of those names is Tom Smith. Well, I was pretty outspoken about it. I was trying to be careful to say, look, I mean, he's a nice guy. He's trying to do good things. But he did set at odds the Park Service's policies. He didn't feel that they applied to him. The last email I ever got from him, there had been an article in the Anchorage Daily News. It was entitled, Park Biologists Increasingly Worried About Blah, 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 Treadwell. You know, I made some statements in there. They weren't by any means demeaning or derogatory that, Timothy, if you end up getting yourself killed, I don't think that will be the kind of legacy or tribute you wish to leave to these animals because not everybody will understand that. There may be things that bear biologists know that you don't know and understand that need to be considered. Um, And that's why we're counseling. It's not because we're jealous or envious or anything of what you're doing. It's, it's got a downside for you and for bears and for conservation. You know, most when human carnivore conflicts erupt, it always sets back conservation efforts. So so him getting killed didn't help bears any. It's just one more negative thing that people take home about bears. And 
And yet the full story oftentimes is whether people wittingly or otherwise do things, they do them that predisposes themselves to conflict and then bears get blamed. Well, this is a show for hikers and backpackers. Walking Distance is about, you know, helping people be out in wilderness, out in bear country and, you know, to feel safe, to stay alive. And the first action that you underscore, I mean, deterrent being being one of those um, pieces of it, is to avoid bears. I mean, you you want to make noise. You want to know where to camp. You want to know where to go. You know, so I thought we would break that down. And, you know, just a really quick story. I was just recently in the Grand Tetons and I was coming down a ridge. I was pretty sure I, I knew my surroundings. I wasn't in trees or anything. I could see everything. And there was a man at the bottom who told me that he saw a bear following me. And I was like, whoa, I never saw him. And this man was telling me this as he was going through his backpack to look for his bear spray. Oh, <laughs> and I mean, it doesn't really help if, you're, if your bear spray is, you know, deep inside your backpack. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, like, what is bear spray? Where should it be? And, and really how you use it best? Yeah, so I probably, well, I mean, again, not another brag, but I've published more on bear spray than anybody just because I was always the go-to guy for uh, Department of Interior Bear Safety up in Alaska. So I, I wanted to be able to, rather than pass on, you know, conventional wisdom or unsubstantiated things people said, I wanted to have some data. So bear spray, you know, is this deterrent that obviously is non-lethal, which is critical because, you know, you'll hear people say, I prefer a gun, but I can tell you what, I also analyze firearms and bears in a, in a separate research journal article, as well as bear spray and bears. One of the areas in the bears and guns paper was that there was a significant number of people that did not want to shoot a bear. And even though they had a gun, and ultimately that led to them making a bad decision because the bear attacked them and the gun went to the ground and they never did do anything. Um, so there's this innate reluctance to use lethal force, but bear spray, you know, the bear's going to be okay. It's just kind of like, a, you know, it's going to aversively condition them. So bear spray should always be at your fingertip, whether that's on a pack strap or on your hip. Um, I can name you any number of incidents where people had it in their backpack. And obviously that's, that's no good. Um, there's even a double fatality in Alaska where, when a colleague of mine um, investigated the site, he said they had bear spray wrapped in plastic. And I assume that's not the clamshell uh, plastic that it was sold in. But either way, it's not useful if it's all wrapped up and put somewhere other than on your chest strap or a holster. So that's the thing. It's got to be immediately available. And when I'm in Alaska or if I'm in anywhere where there's a high probability of running into a bear. I mean, not just in the tundra or walking down a beach, but I mean, a lot of times I'm where I am because there's bears there. It's on my finger with the safety clip off. It's just swinging from my finger because I've come, I've come around the corner many, many times and a bear would be, you know, two meters away. I mean, it's right there. Um, it startles the bear. It startles me. But if, if the bear were to make a move, I could spray it. But in those cases, I just kept walking and the bear just stayed there and nothing happened. But there are times when that hasn't played out that way for people. I've read this, too, and it kind of cracked me up when people say that they have sprayed the bear spray like around their tent yeah. to keep the bear away. I mean, that's definitely not the correct use. And no, I published that paper, too, <laughs> which that, that paper kind of got me off of the bear spray manufacturer's Christmas card list. <laughs> They really didn't like that. I got a couple of lawsuits threatened. Um, oh, but, dear. <laughs> yeah, but I have an axiom I live by, which sounds kind of arrogant. I don't mean it that way. But people with data do not argue with people with opinions. Hmm. So, so fine, you know, bloviate all you want. But I know what I know on the spare spray. And I had seen this in the wild where spray was used prophylactically you know, sprayed on surfaces to keep bears from destroying things in the hope of that. And the bears just literally tore these things to shreds. And then we set up experiments where we actually just sprayed locations 
and we observe them. This is in Katmai where there was the place I was doing the one. I did it several places, but in one place there was a hundred grizzly bears there. So I had plenty of patrons coming to my <laughs> to my site, and they just they fought over it. I mean, they just go crazy. I actually had one data set. It's a little hard to document, but I sprayed on the ground and I had bears coming from uh, 400 meters, which is about a quarter mile. Nobody should be spraying it on anything except in a bear's face. Right. It's, it's like going to Taco Bell, I guess, and getting like a little side thing of hot sauce. It, it is. And, <laughs> you know, capsaicin for all of us mammals, whether you're a bear or a squirrel or a human, um, when capsaicin is delivered to our skin, it elicits intense, intense emphasis on that burning. And if it's inhaled or in your face, it causes what we call involuntary blepharospasms, which means you cannot open your eyes. And it causes constriction of the bronchioles, so you can't breathe. And so it's a real problem. When you hit a bear in the face with that, um, all of a sudden their list of things to do that day changed, which is I need to breathe forget this human or whatever it is, and just leave, spray it and leave. And I have had a few people sprayed them and stood there watching them. And then they reported that it started burning them. Don't stay. (laughs) Yeah, get out of there. So that's the good news. There is a bunch of kind of nonsense out there, like make sure you spray it downwind. Are you kidding me? Like in the middle of a sudden bear encounter, you're going to wet your finger and feel which way. That means it's stupid. If you have that kind of uh, opportunity, then just walk out of there. But you're not going to hesitate to spray an aggressive or menacingly curious bear because the wind's going wrong. Just spray the bear and then deal with that. So I see stuff like that, and I just kind of roll my eyes and think, what are these people doing? Does bear spray train any bears? I mean, has there been any data on that, that um, certain bears, you know, don't come near humans anymore because they know they could get uh, burning eyes? You know, I mean, I don't know of any data set like that, but I will tell you, this is an animal, you know, that can learn to dance, juggle, ride bikes. They can certainly, once you spray them, they're now associating the human with intense pain. I think it is very important because it's training them that this two-legged creature is to be avoided, just like a skunk or any other animal that has some sort of chemical defense. So, yeah, I mean, it would be extraordinarily shocking if it didn't train them to avoid people. So I think it's a good thing that way. I'm really embarrassed to share this story, um, but I was in a bit of a situation last uh, July when I was in Glacier National Park. I was planning to hike with some people, but they didn't hike with me. It was intensely hot, and um, I just can't regulate my heat that well. So I would hike alone at dawn in Glacier. (laughs) And um, I was yelling, you know, hey, bear is, you know, and and making kind of hooting sounds. Never, never came across a bear. I actually ran into a a moose with her baby, but uh, they just kind of walked away. Um, I was playing with fire, wouldn't you say? Well, here's the thing. I think the simplest thing people can do is hike in groups of two or more. Now, Yellowstone will say three or more, but, and we'll see, I'm, like I was mentioned, I'm compiling a database of over 2,000 some human bear conflicts. But, in a, but when I analyzed just the Alaska data, which was about 800 of those, it was, there was a very clear break between soloists and then groups of two or more. Bears tend to be much more inclined to engage with uh, a single hiker than they do with two or more people. Uh, Stephen Herrero, who's a colleague and friend, he agrees neither of us has a single record where two people stood their ground and the bear would touch them. Um, Now, people go, oh, my gosh, no, I know a group of six. Yeah, they're like six scared chickens running wildly uh, in different directions. And the bear just goes after this one, bites them up, then goes after that one. That's like six groups of one. But, you know, here's the thing. People can get away with it for years. I get that, you know, but of those people that bears attack, you put yourself in a unique category when you're alone. Those are selected more than one would expect if it were random and it's not. So they're not intimidated. I think there's three things at play there. When you're hiking as a group, 
there's chitter chatter and there's noise of the hiking boots and things. I mean, it's, it's sometimes not subtle. So you're chatting. I think the noise intimidates them. Soloists tend to not make a lot of noise. And the other thing is visually um, that's much more intimidating. Two or more people, especially let's say we round a corner and the first person goes, hey, there's a bear up ahead. The best thing you can do is get side by side so the bear can see there's multiple people at the same time, ready your deterrent and then move out of the way. Keep moving. Get out of there. Don't stand there. I've heard some people uh, say, well, stand your ground. Here's the problem. If there's a mother with cubs and you can't see the cubs, then you're in big trouble because she just simply wants this perceived threat out of her zone of influence or of concern. Secondly, what's the odds of you seeing a dead bison behind a log or a dead elk or a dead deer? You may not, but these animals come unglued when something else approaches their food cache. Why? You know, I mean, a bear with a carcass, that, that's like weeks of foraging that they don't have to do. So it's worth putting up a very big fight. So the last thing you want to do is stay there, you know, and threatening them. So get out of there. Don't yell, hey, bear, or anything like that. Just get away. In your case, as a soloist, um, you know, if you're going to do that, I'm not saying don't, but do have bear spray and do have it at the ready and do make noise emphasis on appropriately. I mean, I was out in Denali once and there was this guy below me and he's singing opera. It's like I was going to go mauling. It was like, this is disgusting. I'm out here to hear the birds and the wind and everything. shut up, you know, but there was no reason for him to be doing it. I mean, I get it. People are just enjoying the freedom, but really to move as part of the fabric of nature is sweet. I mean, you see things, you hear things, but let's say we're coming off that meadow in Alaska into a, a river area that's got poor visibility. I would definitely start saying, hey, or hey, bear, or clapping my hands loudly because you want to telegraph your presence, you know, because that's the lion's share of all these incidents, I have, I 60 to 70% are just surprise encounters with brown bears. Right. The rangers in Montana told me that bears are curious and that um, bear bells or playing music actually attracts them. Yeah. So with any biological phenomenon, whether it's, you know, how tall people are, how heavy they are, the tone of their voice, the pH of their blood cells, everything— most of it's what we call in science normally distributed. It's got what's the data have a central tendency. It forms like a camel's hump with a, a low and a high end, but the medium. So my point being, most bears don't pay attention to bells. They don't pay attention to human voice. They don't pay attention to anything. There's always those few that are very curious and they do. So when I went out and collected data on this, it's never a clean, they hear bells or they don't hear bells. Most of them did not respond at all. A very few were curious and came and checked them out. There's always these guys on the fringe that don't fit the mean, and those are the curious ones. And so my point is, the average bear, no. From my experience in the field, they do not pay attention to bear bells. And from a biologist's perspective, why would they? There's been nothing in the world that is, I mean, unless, let's say it's a naive bear, that has trained them that this little tinkling sound means anything. You know, and humans say, well, that's really strange. No, it's not. It's the same way you do things. We don't pay attention to every cue that comes our way. We can't. Um, so we have limited attention as a result. And bears, you know, I'll, I'll see people write books on bears and they'll say they just bumble around like the absent-minded professor, not paying attention. Believe me, they're paying attention. But they're paying attention to these things that are kind of running memory resident. Humans are exactly the same. And so you can elevate to what they're going to pay attention to by training them, which means if they associate a human, let's say ding, 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 and they see a person, one trial might do it, but multiple ones, they'll definitely figure that out. But the basic premise that they just pay attention because it's a bell and it doesn't belong in nature, no, my data show that's not true at all. Well, I guess the question I have is, People who go on long-distance trails, like, for instance, what I was on was the Continental Divide Trail, and a lot of people I saw hiked alone and, you know, made sound. But I wonder if there's kind of like a rule of thumb. I mean, you talk about what, when you're in the open, it's not as important as when you're coming into a place where there could be, you know, blind corners or brush. Um, and it, and it's, 
it's it maybe it's sort of loud, like "Hey bear," you know, kind of a percussive kind of um, attention getting. Here's the thing: in my research, also, I showed that like the human voice at 70 decibels on the bear trail. So we had lots of bears coming by, brown bears in Katmai and Basharoff and other places there on the Alaska Peninsula. Some maybe saw people, and we're talking very remote areas where there's hardly anybody ever. So it's possible they never have seen people. And I would play these different sounds at a very low, you know, 70, which is a little bit about, about like our conversation. So I'm pretty convinced they heard it, but they wouldn't respond at all. That same sound, let's say a human voice or a bear bell, elevated to 110 decibels. Oh, they jumped because it's got it's got shock value. You know, it's, hey, it's hitting their nervous system. So, like I said, if you could put the Liberty Bell on your backpack, then you're probably okay. But you're not going to be doing that, and so you, they don't work. Um, so this kind of like you say, a loud hand clap and going, "Hey, bear," you know, kind of thing. That's good enough. In fact, we did an experiment. Steve Herrero and I were there and I had some other people. And I said, okay, let's draw straws. I kind of like to have fun. I said, okay, sorry, Steve, you got the short straw. He goes, okay, what's that mean? I said, what that means, you're going to hike the half kilometer from here to that bow in the river. He looks at me with big eyes. I said, he says, and I said, and you're not going to make any sound. You're just going to walk through the brush to that point. So he went with two other people. They got to the other end of the thing and he called me. He says, we are never doing that again. Whoa. And I said, <laughs> he goes, he said, we scared so many grizzlies off of day beds. You'd hear them get up and <laughs> they're kind of scared. Some they could just hear walking off and others that were, they frightened them. Ooh. So anyway, the next day I did the same trip. And this is the good thing about being the author of the study. And I <laughs> clapped my hands and we talked loudly. Never saw a bear, never heard of bear. Wow. So they were, they were moving off ahead of us without a question. If you don't telegraph your presence in Alaska, you could get away with it on the coast because they're just easygoing bears. You pull that one in Yellowstone, you're gonna or Glacier, you're gonna have a problem because um, they're much more aggressive there. So um, sound level is very crucial, you know, for giving them some advanced uh, opportunity to move, to be aware and move. You said something really interesting that in Yellowstone or Glacier, the brown bears, mostly grizzly, are more aggressive. Why is that? The grumpy bears, <laughs> I think. Something that's immediate, obvious. Um, number one, their home ranges are very large. So whereas in Yellowstone, you might have the average of one bear per 30 square miles. I think that's roughly right, or 29. In Alaska, it's uh, 29 bears per square mile on the coast. Wow. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's almost that crazy. Um, it's almost the reverse. What happens is, in, in not only do you have higher numbers of bears, that's overstated a little bit, but it's a lot of bears. So in Katmai, not only are there more bears, but they're giant bears. So there's more of them and they're giant. These guys, uh, you know, in Yellowstone, a big male would be like a big female in, in Katmai. A big male in, in Katmai would be twice the size of a big male in Yellowstone. So you got that. The underlying reason is resource density, right? So if you have lots of food, you get lots of animals and you get bigger animals. Well, it turns out that if there's food everywhere, you know, in the sedge flats and in the berries, in the shrubs over here, and in the streams and in the intertidal zone, any direction they go, they can get food. Fighting doesn't make any sense. Defending your little area doesn't make any sense. You just move because fight, fighting, interspecific fighting or intra, you know, among bears or with humans, it doesn't make any sense because it's dangerous. It's very dangerous to get involved in fights. So you just move. In Katmai, my experience is it's almost the length of their paws, how big their personal space is. Um, so the Park Service rules reflect that. They say, don't intentionally approach a bear closer than 50 meters. Well, that's pretty close, considering that the polar bears of Svalbard, they say, do not approach closer than 500 meters. And in between Yellowstone, 100 meters. It's not because... Svalbard likes people more, you know, you know, they want to preserve people. It's because experience shows that there's this space around the bear at which point, once you breach that, they're increasingly concerned. And I've done experiments with that with black bears in Kenai Fjord, about 90 meters. If you're outside of 90 meters, you could do whatever you want. They don't even look. But once you cross about a 90 meter threshold, they're increasingly 
turning from their foraging and looking at you. And then we we went to the black bears until we flushed them. We would walk until we pushed them off of their feeding point. And then, of course, there was big males. And they just sit there like a little Buddha on their rear end and look at you like, okay, bring it on, little man. And we get about we get about 15 meters away. And my, my crew would say, what are we going to do? I said, that's enough. We don't need to start a fight here. And I'm not going to spray a bear just because obviously these adult males, not surprisingly, nobody pushes them around, least of all these little skinny hominids. So we would we would move. But my point is they have a dynamic sort of distance around them that is a function of the underlying resource. And that was one of the things I said to Treadwell, Timothy Treadwell, who was doing, who was out there doing that. Your message that humans have bears kind of figured out wrong. Well, that's cat my bears. You know, they're very tolerant. But if we go to Yellowstone thinking what you're saying applies here, then there could be a problem because they're not the same animal. We'll be right back. Walking Distance is supported by Garage Grown Gear, your one-stop online shop for ultralight gear from over a hundred small startup and cottage outdoor brands. Everything from quilts and packs to accessories and meals from makers including Catabatic, Lone Star Ultralight, Bear Vault and Lightened Equipment, Nomad Nutrition, Six Moon Designs, Goose Feet Gear, and one of my faves, Kula Cloth. They offer free shipping for orders over $20. And here's a really cool deal. First-time customers get 10% off using the code DISTANCE10. That's 10% off your first order using the code DISTANCE10. Support the little dudes, shop intentionally, and get 10% off at garagegrowngear.com. Tom Smith, we've spoken a lot on walking distance about proper food storage when backpacking in bear country, like using an approved bear canister or the ursac, eating away from where you camp. But you've pointed out a few things that may seem completely obvious but are often overlooked, like don't wash your hair with sweet-smelling shampoo. And also something that I didn't know, cooking gas is attractive to bears. Oh, yeah. So what I'm doing right now in southern Utah with different scents, I'm trying a whole different types. They come from different organic families. But the point is, you want to attract bears to a to a bait site, just take a five-gallon barbecue propane tank, just crack the valve so that the little propane's coming out. Here they come. Oh, they go nuts for that stuff. Um, so that's one. Another one, I put Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap on, a, on a, a cloth material, put it in a bear can that had holes drilled in it. We had bears coming from long distances trying to get that stuff. Hmm. I think the way you look at it, humans and bears have an inverted priority of senses, whereas ours is sight, sound, and scent. Theirs is scent, sound, and sight. It's just the flip. So for instance, I've been out in meadows in Alaska and come over a crest and there's a bear, you know, grizzly bear. The first thing, they're looking right at you. They can see you. But what do they do? They'll stand full height and they'll wag their head and you can hear them huffing. You know, they're trying to pick up your scent because they've got this extensive catalog. That's how they learn the world is through their nose. And they're trying to go, give me some molecules so I can plug that in and go, oh, that's this. A lot of times they're looking right at you. They'll drop down on all fours and they'll run maybe a few yards or further. Another angle, like circling you trying to pick up your scent, they'll whiff it again. If it's still not coming, let's say the bear wind was coming from them. Once they get downwind, I've seen them do that. They'll stand up, bam, they got it, they're gone. And you think, well, that's bizarre. I mean, they're looking at me, but see, they, they, you know, they, they're looking for the full picture. And since their nose is what really confirms things, they're not looking for visual. They're looking for olfactory. Now flip it to humans. If I'm hiking in Alaska, you see the sparkling light emanating like a like a laser pointer you know in middle oh there's no question i don't care what your agenda is that day you're going to go a couple hundred yards over there and go what the heck is that Mm -hmm. that's exactly what novel scents do to those animals so here's the thing we don't want people to take away go oh my god you know i i mean i can't go in bear country all i'm saying is don't play it up by putting you know strawberry essence on your hair smelling like a 150 pound strawberry. I mean, don't do that because here's the thing. We have a saying in Alaska, which is bears are where they find you. That's where they are. 
And when and so for whatever reason they stumble into you or they stumble into your camp, well, they they come to your camp now. If they're there and they start and they sniff, they're very tentative. If they start wagging their head around and they lock onto the smell of apricots because you used apricot shampoo, believe me, they're going to go straight to that tent wall and take the wall out and see what's in there that smells so interesting. Right. Now I'm doing some interesting work at the zoo right now. This is really fun stuff where I take like Mountain House or some of these other companies that are sealed, freeze dried. I haven't got all the data yet, but can they smell a Mountain House bag? Are you kidding me? Of course not. They can't smell that. Now you open the bag. Can they smell that? They do show a little more interest. Now we cut the food. Do they smell that? Yeah, they smell it. But here's the thing. Then I have cloth that we wear. We put the cloth in this device that's blowing the fumes out. If I cook Mountain House, are my clothes, they show very little interest. If I cook bacon, they're on it. So, so, but, but it makes sense. There's more scent molecules there, right? So what I'm trying to show is, let's say we take Mountain House out of the pack and put it in a Ziploc. The same stuff, I get the same response with that as I did with sealed thing. Can they smell through a Ziploc? No. You know, is there scent? Yeah, there is some scent, but not enough to send out a big plume. So my point of all this, be wary, but don't be crazy. You know, some of the things people have written are just insane, like strip all your clothes, put them with your, are you crazy? I mean, unless you're out there doing Kailua pig on a spit over a burning barbecue thing, what? (laughs) Nobody eats like that. The other thing is that we tend as humans to overlook is everything we touch is doped with what is quote unquote, a human scent. Everything's dope. Now, fortunately, you know, or whatever, our noses aren't that good. So like, I can't say, oh, you know, Allison just walked in the room. I could smell her, you know, there are (laughs) like that, but a bear would notice you're in the room because they can smell you. So my point is, it's like Pavlov's dog, the ringing bell. So if I ring a bell every time the bear gets food and then we take the food away, but I ring the bell, they start salivating. So if the food they're getting has human scent, they will then associate tents, gear, and people with food. And that changed the entire way the National Park Service and then all natural resource agencies manage their garbage. They, they started fencing the dumps, putting in bear-proof containers, and these incidents dropped dramatically because out of all the bears, the single largest pool of problem bears were these ones that were food conditioned. They were getting human food. Why? Well, of course, they want it. You know, one drive-by on a campsite beats a week of working for a living up there eating little bitty huckleberries. So they're not stupid, but let's not forget, they're also keying in on your scent. And so, like I said, we miss that. And let me throw this in. If I have a bear around my camp in the dark, that's a problem right away. You know you have a problem. That's not a normal bear. If you look at every bear study I've done and those of other people, bears have a bimodal activity pattern. They're active at the morning and they're active at dusk. So dawn and dusk, they do some moving around in the midday. I'm not saying they're laying down, but a lot less. But soon after the dark falls, they they lay down. Bears that are garbage bears, they've learned humans have food. So they'll hang around till the auditory and visual cues slow down and stop. People are in their tents with their RVs. Then they come looking for food. So um, that's one little thing to remember. If you have bears around your camp at night, you've got a problem. And you're going to need to probably get out of there with your flashlight and your bear spray and drive that animal off. Let's shift a little bit to bear encounters. I mean, most bears, as you say, are risk averse. And if we avoid them, they're probably not going to hurt us. But there are fatal encounters. I mean, what should we do specifically when a bear is is charging? A take home here is that We don't care about the good bears, which is most of them, the ones that see us and flee, the good grizzlies, the polars, the blacks, all the ones I've been around. But it's the bear that's looking at you. There's no surprise at all. They're not running off and they're kind of sizing you up and then they start approaching you. That's a problem bear. And as I like to say to some of my students here, uh, as a general rule, I don't let hairy four-legged creatures make significant decisions for my life whether it (laughs) yeah whether it's going to be you know maimed or end today that's not happening but let's say after all has been said and done you surprise a bear there you are there's a bear 
Okay, first thing, you ready your deterrent, you group up, you get away. If it's a black bear, as a group, we'll try low-level hazing. Well, hey, get out of here. If that bear just stands there blinking at you, needless to say, no matter what the bear does, unless it's at a campsite. When we camp, I always talk to my friends and I say, if a bear, you know, we love wildlife. I mean, I've sat on beaches in Glacier Bay and I've sat up from the beach just on the, the rye grass in the evening and we've watched bears and wolves walk right by us. They're real skittish. Like it'll be 10, 10, 10, 10 to 15 yards. I mean, pretty close, but why not just sit there and just watch them? Well, we got our bear spray ready. They turn up that slope. They're going to, we're going to go, Hey, stop that. You know, but they'll just walk by and then they kind of take off like, I don't know what that was. So it's kind of cool seeing animals for God's sake. We don't want to be hazing every dang thing that comes along. But if they cross this line and for bear spray, it's 30 feet, then it's time to get ready to spray them. So as soon as they get within that distance, we're all, hey, stop it. They'll always stop. But if they don't, you spray them. Like I said, the best data I have, it's 98% effective. And in the 2% it wasn't, those three people that got injured, these grizzlies were in full on charges when they got sprayed. The people basically just got ran over, which I'm sure doesn't feel good when you're run over by a 500 pound animal, but they didn't stay to maul them. They kept going and it all worked out. So that's really good. Um, now around the campsite, things are a little different because you're in less of a mobile situation, right? And you don't know what people did in that camp before you. You'd hope people are responsible, but people throw crap in the fire. I've gone into the campsites in Yellowstone and there was food remains in them. I just leave them. I'm going to stay there. I, I used to not. Now I do because um, you know, I, like I said, I have a couple ways that I bear proof my site. How, how do you do that? In which way? Okay, so I've had people approach me, a, a couple friends of mine at the, the Alaska Science Center when I was working for the government. I've had, and beyond that, all people say, you know, my spouse, my partner won't even go out. I mean, this spectacular landscape, they won't even go. They're t- terrified. I think we all know somebody like hmm. that. Yeah. And so what I like to do is I talk to them and say, look, you know, we're living in 10,000 year old bodies. We still have a lot of of programming that served us well 10,000 years ago, like total awareness and in, 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 of predators. But we don't need that now. So just recognize it's there because that's who we are. Just like we tend to overeat starches and carbs and all you know, sugars. That's not serving us well. Right. Today. But it was. A thousand, ten thousand years ago, it's how you stayed alive. So, in a similar way, we have to make a conscious decision. Hey, look, you know, I'm not going to eat all that crap because it'll kill me. And in a similar way, okay, I hear the alarm going off. Oh, there's predators. Just say, look, that's programming. Just like that, I can deal with this. I've got bear spray. I've got my friends. We're not ten thousand years ago. I can deal with these things. Okay. So, secondly, in the campsite, then if you're by yourself. I definitely would use a small electric fence or at the very least a critter getter, which is a very small plastic about the size of a deck of cards, runs off a nine bolt cell, scans about 100 degrees out out to 40 feet. You turn that on, set it in front of your tent. Anything moves close to your tent, it screams 130 decibels. And some people say, well, it's going to do that all night. I mean, it's not the Serengeti around here. (laughs) I mean, stuff is not, you know, come on. And if it did, big deal. I mean, at least you can wake up and you can unzip your tent, get your light out and your bear spray. If it's, let's say, me and two or three more people, then we space our tents apart, not side by side. We space them apart and we then know that if a bear comes in, it's going to like, so the training is, hey, Tom, I think there's something by my tent. Tom, can you look at it? I'll come out and look at it. Because if you're in the tent and the bear's near your tent, unzipping it's a very bad idea because you're going to startle it. So let the other tent deal with it. So we keep our tents apart. The other thing is use the landscape to help you out. Sometimes you don't have a choice, but if I'm in Alaska and I got dense alders and willows, I back into a pocket of those because bears are lazy. They're just like us. They're not going to come weaving through that thick brush. They come around. So sometimes on the coast, I'll drag a deadfall to funnel. So they have to come this way, just very passive redirection that funnels them right into my critter getter and it goes off. So that's that's a couple grams. I don't have any grams. The thing is. And you'd even carry this in, in Montana? Oh, absolutely. I mean, heck yes. Because, I mean, it's, number one, it's fun. But number two, there are 
there are bear attacks. We just had one this summer where a guy got pulled out of a tent in Montana. So yeah, that would have stopped that. The second thing you can do, which is even more fun, is, well, it's about the same size, but it's an electric fence unit, runs on two double A's, uh, puts out 9,000 volts. Um, that little unit, all you do is put the ground to your tent peg. The other lead goes to your poly wire that's going around your tent. In Yellowstone, I use uh, paracord, which is non-conductive, put it around the lodge poles, stretch the electric wire through it. It's, it looks like it's made out of plastic, but it's got little strands, I think six to nine strands of stainless steel. And so you tension it through there. And then I have two wires, one at 18 inches, one at 30, takes me 20 minutes to set it up. Let me tell you, 9,000 volts is one heck of a deterrent. And here's the <laughs> thing, people go, that won't keep a bear out. Well, they're not running around like bison on a stampede. They see this camp, they know it's there. I've watched bears approach my camp because I was coming back to camp and there's a grizzly trying to get in. And they're they're very tentative. They're like on highest alert. And what I always do in Alaska, I tie a little bright piece of flagging, you know, like that surveyor's flagging, little piece of bright, right in the middle of the top strand, they go for it every time. They bite it. Oh, they bite it, but they don't do that twice. It's involuntary. <laughs> they drop. I mean, their muscles just drop their carcass to the ground and then they hit the reverse and they floor it. They are very frightened. I have many nights laid in my tent and I hear <laughs> like that you're thrashing the trees about 10 feet away because they just hit that fence. I've never had them come through that. And like I said, we did 5,500 user nights in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. They never broke our fence. The most surprising thing that I read um, in your work is that the conventional advice is to play dead. I mean, most people say that. Bears coming, play dead. And you're like, no, do not. Stand your ground. Can you talk about that a little bit? The analogy I use for that is playing dead has a place in the suite of bear safety messages. It is the very last option. It's like a jet pilot pulling the ejection seat. When you pull that, the $25 million aircraft is going to hit the ground, and you better have a good reason you pulled that thing. Plus, people being ejected also get killed from the ejection. Playing dead is like that. There's no other option. That's all you have. But I've said this. Um, between misunderstanding play dead, we've had a number of people lay down when there was no immediate threat. The bear's 50 yards off, and it's come in there. Um, and that's, uh, we've had at least a couple fatalities when people did that. I mean, it's akin to a sacrifice here. You can just chew me up. Ugh. Yeah. It's horrific. Another thing is they've not had any deterrence instead of playing dad, stand there and unload your bear spray on the bear. Now there was a mauling up in, uh, in Montana two years ago where he sprayed a bear and then he got mauled. And the big story was bear spray doesn't work and all this stuff, but he let loose a burst. Then he laid down on the ground to play dead. It's like, what are you doing? Empty your can on the bear until it hits you for two reasons. One is sometimes they almost always, I've had them charge me before. They'll stop. It's, they're making a statement about you're in my space. I'm nervous. So they'll hop at you. All they're saying is back off. What? Three hops and you lay down? What? Why would you do that? It's like a card game. You just laid them all on the counter. You have nothing. As long as you're standing, you represent a counter threat, especially if it's more than one person. Never do that. So, I mean, let's say they knock me to the ground. It's a grizzly and your spray goes flying. Then you're going to do the classic face down, protect the back of your neck. And hopefully your pack is still on you because they're going to they're gonna vent their rage at your head, neck, and your back. If your pack's there, that's protected. Your head and neck. I looked at hundreds and hundreds of detailed records of mauling victims. Bears were four and a half times more likely to bite people in the head and the, in the neck than anywhere else in their body. And if you subtract defensive wounds, hands or feet, you know, on the ground, kicking the bear in the head to keep their fate, their teeth away or stuffing your arm and your hands in their mouth. If you take them out, it's 10 times more likely for your head and neck. The reason is that's how they fight. If you watch two bears fight, they don't go up there with their little paws in the air. They go at each other face first. With, they're just like dogs. They come out with their biggest weapons. Their, their weapons, in this case, are their teeth. Now, to be clear, bears weren't born with teeth to defend themselves. Their teeth are for processing meat. But they're the most lethal tool they have, so they use them. 
their paws were not made for fighting. They're made for digging roots or climbing trees or catching seals. But in a pinch, if they have to, they'll use them. If you're down and the bear is lording over you like a brown bear, do not move at all. We've had people that the bear moves off a little ways. They can still hear it and they look up to see what it's doing. That sets it off. And I had one woman that did that five times. She went from moderate injury to severe. She kept setting the bear off. These are people almost always that didn't have another play. And that includes a lot of the gun people because they're out there hunting deer, elk, whatever. And they've got a big, big caliber gun, like a 30-06 or a 308 or a 300 Winchester. These are veritable cannons. They're bolt action, right? So they have to get it off the shoulder, to the shoulder, up with the bolt, back with the bolt, forward with the bolt, take off the safety. Are you kidding? They're done. The bear already ran them over when they barely got it off their shoulder. The other problem with that gun is when people are hiking, they don't want it in their hand in the field ready position, one of the chamber safety off. That's insane. At the same time, that's what it would have to be to be useful. So you see a lot of people and people go, well, guns can kill bears. Yeah, they can, but you can't when you hold it. And the reason is because you've got to be accurate. You have to be fast. Um, Worst case, we had a Montanan four years ago came to the rescue of their hunting partner and shot the bear and the bullet also killed the their partner. You know, come on. You could have sprayed the bear in the face and it would have worked. So deterrent, really. I mean, if we were going to sum all of this up so that, you know, you could still hike and that I and I leave my listeners <laughs> with, you know, kind of a positive message. I mean, it really is that you want to be you want to be aware. I mean, I wouldn't wear headphones in, in bear country. Um, you know, to be very aware, to be carrying your deterrent, to be making noise, and to be, you know, hiking with another person and have have some, you know, plan for how you're going to haze the bear and to really be prepared to fight back, whether that is spraying with deterrent or, you know, continuing to stay up. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to, you know, and just a note. So I mentioned the bell curve of, of, of behavioral traits. There's both black bears and brown bears that are predatory. That's a very small number. Um, I mean, what would be the reason that they would be predatory? I mean, is that unusual for the species? It is, but they're just like humans. There's some of them here too, right? So if I was trying to explain to aliens what humans are like, I'd say they're great. You're going to love them, except for these guys. They act different. They look different and and you can spot them. This is how you can tell. In a similar way, a brown bear that's that's kind of circling you clearly is trying to investigate you. That's a big problem. Um, but most brown bears, almost very rare predatory brown bear attacks on black bears, they all should run. If they don't, you've got a problem. When I'm in open country, I love carrying, and this is something I always carry when I hike, those uh, sky blazer flares that are meant for marine use on, on boats. You have to have three on your boat. But there's this one kind of, uh, it's about the size of like the old Sharpie, the magic marker. It looks like that. It's orange and it's waterproof and it goes in your vessel. So if you're at distress, you unscrew one end and it's got a little extension that goes out to make a barrel and you pull a little chain. Out comes a a flare that you, you know, you put up 300 feet and, and they're bright, you know, and all this. What I love them about them is I'm like you. I do a lot of solo stuff. I've hiked plenty in Alaska and in Yellowstone all by myself. Um, but I carry those because, number one, if I had an incident where I needed somebody to pay attention, I can shoot that up through the forest canopy. They're very light. They're not a big deal. But more important, if I have a distant area, let's say a meadow, and I've had this happen a lot, where all of a sudden I'm walking across the meadow and it's just me. And there's a big old grizzly bear in it. It's coming my way. The first thing I do is I force its intent. Is it just trying to go somewhere? Which bears are always trying to go somewhere. So is this one trying to go somewhere? Is it interested in me? So I'll change my direction gently. In many instances, the bear just continues. It's just trying to go somewhere. But I've had several where they then track me. So now I know the bear is really interested in me. Rather than wait till it's 20 feet away, and I can spray it with bear spray, I pull out that flare and I fire right at it. That'll go 300 feet. And uh, believe it or not, bears have a very big problem with screaming fireballs. They <laughs> uh, they do not like them. And somebody says, well, do you aim at them? I said, I absolutely try to hit them. 
I mean, it's not going to start a forest fire. Well, let's see. In my life's priorities in that moment, number one is avoid bear mowing. Number two, hopefully not start a forest fire. But yes, okay. it, it could. <laughs> but let's deal with the bear mowing first. Then we'll go stamp out the flames. But let's help bears out a little bit. They're, they're trying to just be bears. But let's not let them get into our stuff. Let's not let them tear tents up. And of course, everybody's going, yeah, let's not let them tear us up. But I said, yeah, that too. But let's let's protect them from us. And here's the other point I think I would make. People say, well, you know what? Nothing's happened. That's cool. But I'm just going to take my chances. You know, I told this person, I said, well, look, I've driven a car for over 40 years. I've never had a wreck. So why bother with a freaking seatbelt? And I said, why do you bother? And he go, well, it's just such a simple thing. And if, if the one-off, somebody crosses the center line, at least I'm going to be alive. And I said, exactly. So why wouldn't you carry bear spray? It's likely never going to happen. But all these people in my data set thought it would never happen to them. It's a couple thousand people, many thousand people. And I said, so that one threat is, that's one thing that puts them in the same class. There is a bear falling victim. They just figured they would continue to play the odds and it just didn't pan out for them. For a $30 product, I mean, it's not worth taking the risk. I mean, last comment here is you can take an entire wilderness with no bears and there's some something um, just fundamentally different about it. I go out looking for them. I'm not trying to avoid them, but I also know what they can do. So I'm always ready, but we love these animals and they're wonderful. So I, I would never avoid going into bear country. And I'm completely confident that if you just do these simple things, you can avoid it. Hey, Tom Smith, this has been such a great conversation, and I think you've really um, laid out some some thoughts and some, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, rules for the ro- of the road or rules of the trail for hikers, and uh, it's really going to help out, out people. So I really appreciate your conversation today. Hey, you're welcome, Allison. Yeah, I look forward to listening to your podcast. Sounds really fun. Tom Smith is a bear biologist. He serves as a scientific advisor to Polar Bears International, Wildlife SOS India, and the International Working Group for Polar Bear Conflict Resolution. He's also co-authored landmark publications and studies on human-bear encounters, as well as effective deterrence. I find it eye-opening that most bear attacks happen when people are hiking, more than camping, trail running, hunting, or foraging. So Tom is talking to us. And if there's even one takeaway from today, it's to always carry bear spray if you're in bear country. Bear spray is a kind of mace that shoots a fog of capsaicin pepper spray up to 35 feet and doesn't harm the bear permanently, but it can stop a charge. Tom has kindly shared a bear safety handout that he used in a recent talk, so you'll have a nifty guide to take with you. I've included a link to it in the show notes, as well as links to the Critter Gitter, the Camp Fence, and the Sky Blazer Flare that Tom mentions he uses while he backpacks in bear country. You can subscribe to Walking Distance wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple, leave a review that helps other people find the podcast. I'd also love to hear from you about your experiences in bear country. You can reach me at Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N, Allison at BlissfulHiker.com. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Nass, and thanks to Zach Davis, Jackie Marusiak, and Tina Mullen. Thanks also to today's title sponsor, Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. You can save 15% on your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE, all one word, WALKINGDISTANCE, and save 15% off your order at gossamergear.com. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you've been listening to Walking Distance. Walking Distance.